Good morning, Memphis. I hope you are enjoying this holiday season and your year is ending on a high note. Um, I'm so happy to spend some time with you this morning. I'm Sanaa and you're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. And remember, you can always tune in online at wyxr.org. Every Saturday morning, I'm joined by experts from across the country who are investigating our most pressing social issues and common curiosities. Over the next hour, we'll learn more about their motivations, their inspirations, and of course, what they know about the world around us. So grab a cup of coffee and get ready for a fun and insightful conversation. So over the past few years, we've seen more and more attention given to the lack of racial representation on TV and in movies. And then we've also had some really big movie moments for racial representation. So we cannot forget the important cultural moment that Black Panther was, particularly for Black Americans. And then I think that significance of the movie was really emphasized again this year with the passing of Chadwick Boseman. And especially given that, you know, we've been anticipating the sequel to Black Panther. And of course, Crazy Rich Asians and what that meant for the Asian American community. Um, so to talk more about racial representation and some of these big movie moments, their importance, and even where we may be moving forward, joining me today is Dr. Nancy Yoon. Dr. Yoon is a sociologist and pop culture expert. She is the author of Real Inequality, Hollywood Actors and Racism, and the co-author of Tokens on the Small Screen, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in Primetime and Streaming Television. Dr. Yoon is a cultural consultant for top Hollywood studios and institutions, along with companies including the Academy of Motion Pictures and Sciences Museum, DreamWorks, Lionsgate, and Netflix. And she specializes on issues of representation, inclusion, and authenticity in terms of race and racism. She has appeared on a range of television shows and news media, such as PBS, NPR, NBC, Nightly News, and Dr. Phil, to name a few. And she is a guest writer at Newsweek, Elle, HuffPost, and Self. Welcome, Dr. Yoon. How are you? I'm doing uh, okay, I think is probably <laughs> the most honest answer. I'm, I'm, I'm not sick, so I'm thankful for that. And yeah, I'm I'm, I'm coping. I'm coping well, I think. Okay. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> uh, pretty much the same. I mean, I think, you know, I too, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm feeling pretty sane, which I think is my major achievement for 2020, uh, maintaining uh, a right state of mind. Um, and I like to say like today, I'm feeling very up on the Corona coaster. Um, and then some days I'm feeling very down at the bottom of it. But today <laughs> I'm feeling good and I'm so excited excited to have you here with us. Well, I'm, um, yeah, I'm just excited to talk to Memphis. This is, uh, I don't know if they've ever heard from me before, so <laughs> unless they follow me, I suppose. I don't know how much of a presence I have outside of Southern California, so it's nice to be able to talk to folks who are interested in this topic in the South. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's so important. And that's why I'm so excited to have you here with us because in the South and especially thinking about a city like Memphis, which has historically been a very black white city, um, even though we have um, a history of Asian Americans here in the city um, that's often overlooked. But currently, we're very much growing in terms of our racial and ethnic diversity. So thinking about a growing, a small but growing Asian American population, and then a 
larger uh, Latino growing population um, in the city. So thinking about what racial diversity even looks like here and then what that means um, for understanding that diversity, especially since this might be the first time people are interacting um, with people of different racial and ethnic backgrounds, right? And taking the cues from what we see on TV <laughs> um, for what that might look like. Yeah, absolutely. I think we, um, when we don't, research shows that when we don't have personal interaction with folks or are just starting, as you mentioned, um, our preconceptions come from the media, right? It can't be mm -hmm. helped, even if we know that uh, uh, representations on film and television are not necessarily real. Um, if that's all we've ever seen, our brains process that as, oh, well, this is what I think Asians or Latinx are. Even, mm -hmm. um, even though we know it's, you know, it's just entertainment, but actually it's more dangerous, right? Because it's just entertainment. We don't even think about it critically. We just let it flood our brains uh, mm -hmm. without like, you know, processing it properly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm thinking because I grew up in Memphis and interacting with folks who clearly had not seen an Asian person in real life before. Uh, so there was all these stereotypes that people often used to be really curious and think were true, right? Because they saw it on TV. So like, oh, you know, questions like, oh, do you know Kung Fu? Or do you know Taekwondo? Which very popular representations of Asian Americans at that time. Or, you know, thinking that I must be related to any Asian person they had ever seen, you know, on TV. Um, so, yes, just thinking about how strong and sticky those representations are, even if they're not accurate. Yeah, it's really, uh, <laughs> I mean, I think about, I, I'm an immigrant myself, and I think my image of the United States was white as a young child coming here, because that's all I'd seen from Taiwan, that that's what America is, right? So mm -hmm. when I got to Long Beach, California, I was like, oh, well, I mean, I don't know if I was cognizant of at the time at five years old, but it definitely did not look like what it looked like on TV. And mm -hmm. so when I, you know, when I grew up, I definitely um, became more aware and more critical of how um, erasures were happening, right, on TV, mm -hmm. where the cities were not represented as they are. And so people imagine um, America to be a certain way, both outside and even within, even though, you know, that's not the reality. I mean, right now we have what, it's over 40% uh, um, um, Black Indigenous POC, right? And so mm -hmm. it's, it's uh, <laughs> but that's still not the case uh, in Hollywood. Um, in terms of fictional representation as well. I mean, actually, I think some of the reality shows are a little bit more diverse that I've seen, but, um, but I think overall the research coming out of UCLA, USC are showing that there's still um, underrepresentation, or if there's more parity, that, um, that the representations are not necessarily good or in the leads, like representations of immigrants, for example, are still overwhelmingly criminalized Mm. And white immigrants aren't represented, even though they exist, right? So, so just uh, so it, it really does shape the way that we think about our world, and then it it has an impact on policy and voting and ideology, all of that stuff, which is just it's. I think we don't, you know, we don't think about media in that way enough, right? Mm -hmm. I think more and more, I think people are interested, and people talk about them on social media all the time, um, but I don't know if like the government is, you know, I, it's like a pub, it's like a public health issue if we think about mental health mm -hmm. and development of youth in terms of what they're seeing and their self esteem. The whole adage of you can't be what you can't see. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, this is really funny because. Uh, 
I, I actually majored in English uh, creative writing poetry, and I only mm -hmm. took an intro to sociology class. And then I decided all of a sudden to get a PhD. <laughs> and I've always wondered, what was I thinking? And I think it's because the first Asian woman that I ever seen in a, like a higher position was Min Zo, who was a sociologist. Mm -hmm. And she was my sociology professor, one of the sociology professors in my intro class. And I think that that's why I became a sociology <laughs> professor. And I just figured this out, I think, last year. Wow. <laughs> so, so you really can't be what you can't see or you are, you become what you see, right? So. Right. Oh my goodness. Wow. Like, I think, <laughs> I can't imagine, right? Like, I think that's a great model that you became a sociologist because it was something that you saw and something that, you know, obviously had like some positive value to it. Uh, but then thinking about what you said as well like sometimes we become what we see even if it's not the most positive um portrayal right because we feel kind of constrained or trapped um within these models that we have or other people are also pushing us to be you know this caricature um that we've seen yeah it definitely limits um what we can imagine and also you know you feel like you definitely feel like as a young person if you're you know if people that look like you only are portrayed in as criminals or um, illegal, you know, quote unquote, illegal aliens or something and, and, and foreigners, right? I think Asians mm -hmm. get that a lot. And so, and you know, you're not that. So you just kind of, um, you know, you, you disconnect and you, and your self-esteem, I mean, research shows that um, the only self-esteem of between, it was a study of white boys and girls um, and black boys and girls. And the only group that self-esteem actually went up for each additional hour of television watched were white boys. Mm. All the other groups, white girls, black boys, black girls, all of them, their self-esteem went down with each additional hour of television watched. So that's really um, sad and, and concerning, right? For, mm -hmm. for those of us who want to advocate for better representation. And so, yeah, so it's, it's like you're, you're, you don't think that you're that, but it still affects your self-esteem if, you if you're only seeing that. Like I, you know, I grew up, I mean, it also makes you hate your own group, I think, you know? Mm -hmm. Like I think I grew up, um, I grew up in a predominantly Asian American community. Uh, I mean, it was diverse. And then when I, mo I actually moved to a, a city called Cer Cerritos and it's like almost all Asians. And, and I think that I remember even separating myself with recent immigrants. Cause I'm like, well, mm -hmm. I'm not a fob, but fresh off the boat. Right. Right. Like, even though I am an immigrant and what's wrong with people who are immigrants <laughs> and young people who are immigrants who speak with an accent, what is wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with it is that every time you see that represented in the media, they're buffoons, they're mm -hmm. foreigners, they're, they're seen as other, like I think about um, 16 Candles, Long Duck Dong, who was the yeah. foreign exchange student. I mean, everyone laughed at him. He was, you know, he had no power. He was totally emasculated. He was uh, just crazy weird <laughs> like you know and so you're like so as a young asian american you're like i can't be seen as that and so you distance yourself right from mm -hmm. from maybe the language from the culture from from stuff that um that is seen by is that is presented and framed by the by popular culture as problematic right mm -hmm. laughable and and not american right mm -hmm. so if you want to be american and you know the whole assimilationist kind of framework you know for immigrants and you need to be you need to you need to assimilate you need to become like us you need to be an american and what does that mean that means assimilating into white culture right and so mm -hmm. 
So it's, it's, so even that, like that effect, like I feel like so many Asian Americans have to undo all that messaging as they get older and have Asian pride in both, you know, being an Asian American and, and, you know, Asian understanding, learning about Asian culture more and reclaiming that, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's like a process, like, but why did we have to reclaim it? You know, why couldn't we just like been presented that is it's, you know, Asian American culture is, is valid or black American culture is valid. Like, why do we have to, um, just be at odds. Why does it always have to be at odds? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm just thinking back to when I was growing up and there were no, first of all, there were so few, you know, media portrayals of Asians at all. Um, so there was that, it was already very limited. And exactly as you said, even when there were Asian Americans on screen, um, it made me want to feel, you know, exactly as you said, separate myself from that portrayal because it was, you know, we were the butt of the joke or, you know, just the comic relief or, you know, a very minor stereotypical role. And so you found yourself, you know, distancing yourself from that as well. I think for me, even, I guess it was maybe All American Girl was kind of one of the first that I really remember like Asian American representations. But even then, I think I was still um, like going through that suppression stage of wanting to feel different and not, you know, like not even knowing how to accept seeing someone like me on screen that I don't think I really even appreciated it as much maybe as I could have or should have. Um, but that I think was one of kind of like my first kind of like, oh, that's someone who's like, kind of like me moments. Yeah, definitely. I think I, I had that moment when I saw the Joyla Club in, in mm -hmm. um, the theater and we had read it, or I think I actually read it on my own in high school. So I was starting to have a little bit of a racial awakening. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's totally attributed to the fact that I was at an Asian American high school. So there's at least one or two of them that are <laughs> a little bit more <laughs> aware, I hope. Um, and so, and, and also I did grow up still speaking Mandarin with my mother and, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm 1.5. So there's a, there, I think there's a little bit of a difference where I did grow up in you know, the first five years of my life being in the majority in Taiwan. So it wasn't that I, um, I don't think I, I just, I don't think I rejected my culture because of my, you know, the formative years, mm -hmm. but at the same time, I think I reject, it's like you're, as a young person, you're rejecting the stereotypes, right? And yeah. what does that look like? So I think about like, I never spoke Mandarin to any of my friends, mm. you know, even though a lot of us could speak, you know, right. I never heard anybody speaking any mother tongues. Like there was Filipinos and Thai. I never spoke, and nobody spoke anything except English, right? This is, mm -hmm. I think this is public schools. Public schools are totally agents, uh, you know, agencies of assimilation mm -hmm. um, because we didn't have ethnic studies or anything like that. You know, it was just American history, U.S. history, which was just, you know, Revolutionary War too. I mean, a little <laughs> bit of the civil rights, maybe one paragraph on the Japanese internment. But oh, you got a paragraph. <laughs> a paragraph. <laughs> a, a, a breakout like page, right? With some one photograph or something. But, but um, so I did read the Joylo Club. And um, being in Southern California, maybe someone went to college and decided to bring that back um, into the curriculum or something. And so watching it, I remember thinking, because I had seen Asian representations, right? Like um, C dramas or K dramas weren't a, really a thing then, <laughs> at least in the mm -hmm. United States. Um, and then, yeah, and then I, but I saw 
an Asian American, specifically Chinese American portrayal of mother daughter that I related to. And I remember crying. I don't think I ever cried because of a fictional representation prior to that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was a, uh, definitely the first, one of those questions, the first time you saw yourself on screen, that was <laughs> definitely it. And, um, and that was like the year before, I think the year before All American Girl, right? Mm -hmm. But I think I had gone, I was, I was in college and All American Girl was uh it was so short-lived i think i just kind of yeah. i knew it existed and then it was off the air right yeah so quick so, yeah and so and yeah so anyway at that time i was actually not watching the sitcoms i was just uh, i don't know you know you go through phases of like <laughs> tastes in your life as a as a young person right? i love sitcoms as a kid and then and then i was all about the indie because i actually worked at blockbuster and i oh, dated wow. someone who worked at edwards so i think i thought of myself as a little cinephile <laughs> like i was all about the indie films like I was watching Clerks and all that stuff yes. and so um yeah so it was definitely sitcoms was off my radar but um but but I think Jola Club was definitely that I mean those like the generations of women and, and actually the immigrant story right was something that also was new to me Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I love this idea of actually seeing an immigrant and a multi-generational immigrant story on the screen, a very different representation from how we may have thought about immigrants before then, or even how currently immigrants are often portrayed. I think what you said earlier was such an important point of where when we see immigrants even portrayed on screen, it's always black and brown, Asian, you know, immigrants is never white immigrants. So then how does that then fuel our ideas? and beliefs and attitudes towards immigrants, immigrant worthiness, um, immigrant incorporation in the U.S. Um, and like you said, sometimes we don't even, because it's just quote unquote entertainment, we don't think about it so much, but yet it is very much shaping our attitudes and beliefs and then what we do in response to those attitudes and beliefs, whether it is policy or if it's interpersonal interactions as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, there's research, media research is hard, right? Research on whether something you watch directly impacts you because there's also lots of intervening factors. But there was this one research that showed that if you believe you live in a predominantly black neighborhood and you watch crime shows, you're more likely to have negative stereotypes about African-Americans and crime. Wow. I mean, it's such a kind of weird study. <laughs> I mean, sociologists actually don't do these kind of studies as much, but, um, but there's a lot of communications and media folks that, that do do this and psychologists actually that do this kind of study. And, um, and so it's, it's like, I, I mean, I remember reading and also like, I think like uh, watching like in uh, nonverbal like uh, racism also mm -hmm. has an impact. So like, I don't think I would even think about that, but right. Like if, if you have a token, person of color and, and they're dismissed on camera mm. without even any ver verbiage, right? That actually also has an impact on how people perceive, um, perceive those groups. If, if, you know, especially if you're in the majority culture, if you're white, if you're, you know, seeing people of color being dismissed or, or someone grimacing at someone, you then mimic or start to, you know, um, incorporate those ideas that this person's less worthy or this person's other, so yeah, this, there's a lot of research on that, right? And it's, <laughs> um, and they're they're really interesting. And I think that it shows that even things that we we are not even conscious of 
mm-hmm. right? Like things that are our own. So we're bringing in our own biases into, you know, our, our watching habits. And then those habits then reinforce those biases or they, if you're young, they create those biases, right? Mm-hmm. And so, or, or not create, I mean, there's racism in society, you know, <laughs> and nothing, nothing's in a vacuum, really. All of it is part of the same system, but, but entertainment is definitely part of that system. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, I'd actually like to hear more about um, the changes that we've seen more recently around racial representation. Uh, you're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sanaa and I'm here with Dr. Nancy Yoon, a sociologist and pop culture expert. Um, So before the break, I was just mentioning how we have seen, you know, more racial representation. I kind of feel like in the like past handful of years. Um, Okay, what has been some of the driving factors before this? Is this a good thing? Is it here to stay? So you mentioned Black Panther and Crazy Rich Asians, and I think that part of the barriers, and I write about this in my book, about how these these kind of large myths exist in the industry, in the Hollywood industry, in that they believe that people of color, for the longest time, they believe that people of color just don't sell, that they're niche, right? Mm-hmm. That um, that white audiences or even audiences outside of that particular group won't go see that movie and if you know if you're talking about asian americans that's five percent you know six percent of society and that's not enough to like drive you know box office although (laughs) crazy asians i think the first the opening weekend i think it was like 30 40 percent of the audiences were asian americans so we were like we got to get out there because we know that this is our our only chance because the last time was like we talk about joy look club the last time a major epic family kind of you know cross cross culture, cross generational um, representation was 25 years prior, a whole generation. I wrote about this in HuffPost that a whole generation missed out on seeing themselves. I mean, there were other smaller films um, and and some, you know, studio films, but really that was the last time. I mean, it was actually Disney. They didn't, Disney didn't say that it was them, but it was actually Disney that was behind Jorla Club. (laughs) So anyway, um, and so, and so, yeah, so, so same thing with Black Panther. I think there was, uh, there were um, these Sony um, emails were hacked at one point. <laughs> this is a while back, but, mm-hmm. but people were able to actually read these internal emails. And there were so many, and one of my friends, uh, Marianne Ariga, who's also, I think, in this house, she's a sociologist. She's at the University of Georgia, maybe. Anyway, so she, um, she has a book called um, The Hollywood Jim Crow. And mm-hmm. she wrote about how, how um, that, these, these internal emails said that uh, black movies are not going to sell internationally, mm-hmm. right? There's this belief that um, it's, it's sure it might do well in the States, so there might be an audience here, but internationally it's not going to do well, right? Mm-hmm. And so Black Panther broke that myth as well, that it did really, it did better than it's, um, so people are like, oh, well, Marvel always just banks, you know, it doesn't matter. Right. But if you compare it to other Marvel films, it actually did better than like the Ant-Mans and the Guardians of the Galaxies. 
it, it just, you know, it did well in Korea, right? There were scenes that were shot. Right. Supposedly, I don't know if they were actually shot in Korea, but they, they took place in Korea. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that they actually did a tour in Korea. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I followed it. I think they did some karaoke, <laughs> you know, because in Asia, <laughs> you have to go on all the variety shows. It's like <laughs> a thing. All the actors have to go on all the variety shows. I mean, they do that here, right? Late night mm-hmm. shows. But, but the ones in Asia are hilarious because you have to play games. You have, yes. to, you have to seem more personable, right? Mm-hmm. And the cast did that. And I, I was very impressed by that i mean someone like the rock who is mixed you know samoan and black he he he's beloved in china because he'll go over there and like you know he's so you know charming and charismatic he'll go and like woo the audiences in china right he knows right because um you want you have to build a recognition factor right Mm -hmm. because star wars was not a recognition factor in china like they didn't they don't have that same like ooh, i grew up with star wars kind of thing so star wars had to work really hard to kind of create you know and like generate interest in a culture that was not familiar with that franchise Mm -hmm. so anyway so um so yeah so having these um these myths busted by those two films i think it uh it really did i think make Hollywood more interested in opening up because they can't make that argument easily anymore. And on top of that, we have streaming, (laughs) which we didn't have prior, right? Um, When I was growing up, there was no streaming. There was cable, you know, and that was starting to open up. But streaming has a different business model than Mm. even the cable and definitely the broadcast where they're trying to reach the largest audience, right? Mm -hmm. The, The broadest audience. Um, streaming is completely trying to get subscribers. So they're not trying to get the largest audience. They're just trying to get people who maybe aren't buying, aren't paying for, for, you know, entertainment in that way. So mm-hmm. Netflix, you know, I think with Orange is the New Black was a huge, um, it was all women and mm-hmm. a lot of black and brown women, so a few Asian women as well. Um, and I mean, obviously it's, you know, it's not the best. It's like, you know, they're all <laughs> prisoners, they're all criminals of varying degrees. And, but at the time there wasn't even that, you know, there wasn't a whole show of women and women of color. And from that show, actually a lot of black and brown women actually became superstars. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's, uh, you know, they need platforms. We need platforms. Cause it's like, if you, if you can't even get a, a, a ensemble role in a, you know, very popular show, how are you going to build your resume? Right. And then people right. will hire you because you're not a known factor, all that stuff. Because the whole, like, there's no A-list actor. Like that was the uh, argument for Ghost in the Shell. There's no Asian woman, you know, who's A-list, who's going to carry this film. That's why we have to cast Scarlett Johansson as a <laughs> Japanese robot. Right. And so... <laughs> And, and that movie didn't do well because I think, so another factor is social media. Now mm-hmm. people can complain on social media yes. and actually be heard, right? Hashtag Oscar so white, April yeah. Rain. She, uh, you know, is activist and she made that, that go viral and Hollywood elite like Spike, Spike Lee and um, Jada Pinkett Smith, like, you know, actually did social media um, and, and campaigns and videos and use that hashtag when, when the second year Um, So it came out because the first year was um, that no actors of color were nominated in any of the best actor, best actress, best supporting actor, best supporting actress category. So that's 20 nominations, no, no color at all. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was, I think, 2000, what, 2016, I think? Was it 2015? The first? 15 and 16. Yeah. Yeah. So 15 and 16. So the second year that happened, that's when the the Hollywood elite kind of said, enough is enough. I'm boycotting. I'm not going to the ceremony. And then the Academy, um, you know, of Motion Pictures uh, and Arts and Sciences, they actually then 
um, said, okay, we're going to make some changes because LA Times actually did an expose showing that I can't remember the percentages now, but it was like dire where it was like almost all white men. This is the Academy membership, almost all white men mm-hmm. over the age of 60. Yes. Right? Yes, like, I can remember that. Like, study. It was really bad. It was, I think it was worse than anybody could possibly imagine. Right. Like some of the, some of the percentages, percentages were in the nineties. Right. Mm-hmm. And so and so, yeah, so they're like, okay, we are going to make a change. So, and they have, you know, actually amazingly, they have invited so many more women, so many more people of color and international because it's like, it's Hollywood is very American centric. And so like, yeah, the fact that Parasite, yes. this is, it just happened this year. It feels like a decade ago, but 2020 time is like, uh, the time goes really slowly. Um, so, so 2020 January, right, was the Academy Awards and Parasite is, was the first um non-english film to win best picture right mm-hmm. and it's south korean yes. and people were like what side titles <laughs> yeah. Ho, who's that you know <laughs> you know asian faces oh my gosh i think all of us i mean i was like jumping up and down that was i actually had an oscar party with my friends at my house and we were just like got up and cheered <laughs> as if we won right yes. and we were like you know i'm chinese american some of my friends are filipinos we were like asia <laughs> <laughs> or, and i think people of color in general people of color you know yes. and international like understanding that it meant that it was going to it opened up the possibilities of other than white American films, right? Especially mm-hmm. when we had things like Green Book, <laughs> just one, yeah. right? When we had years where it was like, oh, really? Another one of those, you know, like white savior type films yeah. winning Best Picture. So having um, Parasite win was, I think it was, it was a surprise. I think most of us didn't think that it was going to happen. We were thinking, okay, maybe Best, for, oh, they don't call it Best Foreign Film anymore, Best International Film. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> But wow, you know, that was exciting. So it feels like there's so much momentum. And I, you know, I just did a, a panel with some Christmas uh, with uh, the first Chinese American, first Asian American or first Asian um, Christmas movie on Lifetime. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the director and uh, screenwriter did say that things have opened up, right? I think mm-hmm. that people behind the scenes are seeing things. I mean, I think for the av- average actor, like I follow, I have some friends who are um, Asian American working actors, so they're not like, you know, household names. Mm-hmm. I mean, although even arguably, there's still very few household names for Asian American actors, despite crazy rich Asians, except within the Asian American community. But, but the ones that are working that even Asian Americans may not know, they're still getting asked to do accents mm. during, during yep. um, auditions. So things have not changed, I think, as much as we think that they should, mm-hmm. but opportunities have opened up. So I think that's where we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think we've seen definitely some changes happening, right? So after I think Crazy Rich Asians, which was this moment of like everyone, well, everyone being Asian Americans feeling like we have to go see this, we have to support it. I think I saw it three times in theaters. Um, and so I was like dragging everyone <laughs> with me, whether they were Asian American or not, like we have to go see this movie. Um, but even since then, I feel like we have seen more movies with Asian Americans as the lead. And I love that you brought up streaming because I think Netflix has really kind of opened the door for different films and different representation. 
um, as well. And of course, they're just kind of Netflix is, I feel like, gobbling up everything. Um, but I mean, yes, they go to the film festivals and they will <laughs> buy the indie films. They will bid on them, which is, I think, very different, you know, and from in the past, right? Where, mm -hmm. and also because people aren't sure if Netflix is as award uh you know eligible because that was a big thing yeah. with steven spielberg saying oh it needs to have a theatrical run otherwise you know and then some netflix will do like a two-week theatrical run and then be like okay we qualify <laughs> but like you know crazy rich asians they had an offer from netflix and yeah. and the um and kevin kwan who is you know the writer the author because they're based on these books there's three of them and and so there's going to be two sequels hopefully and and he was just like no we need a theatrical you know we need a theatrical actual distribution because otherwise they i think they understood which is really cool they understood that um it's just going to be too niche right mm -hmm. we need the kind of red carpet we need to make movie stars out of these these you know relatively unknown and an international actually asian diasporic cast right from mm -hmm. australia from england from Asia proper and so like I think it's that was that was really cool right to see I think it, it I think that that galvanized a lot of like Asians around the world because mm -hmm. we have um, and we're also seeing that there's uh, Asians in other Western countries that also you know face similar discrimination and also want representation and just I loved hearing Asians with like Australian and British accents you know growing up in the United States not that like I think that those accents are better than Asian <laughs> accents. <laughs> I'm trying to get away from that bad beast, but um, but I think that uh, it's just like it's just you don't see that represented even, right? It's only the fake Asian accent, or yes. they sound like American accent. They have American accents, but now we have hey, Asians have British accents. Like look at Henry Golding, who wasn't so. This is the whole you need to be an A-list actor to carry a film. No, I mean how many young white actors? unknown are made because of films right? right and henry golding is an example of that because now he's so hot he's everywhere aquafina too right you know both of them were relatively unknown but after crazy rich asians they occupy basically every asian role out there right and right henry golding is so like he's so charming he's a, he was in a christmas movie called last christmas last year mm -hmm. and with um so i don't remember her her name but she's the game of thrones uh, main actress um, so this is, I'm like, I'm like the person that I can't remember what actor's name because there's so many of them and I don't, I don't, I've never seen her before besides um, Game of Thrones. So, but the two of them were so, and Michelle Yeoh was in it, right? So mm -hmm. the two of them were so charming and that, if you guys have won a great Christmas film, Last Christmas was so great. Have you seen it? I have not. Now I'm like, oh my goodness, I need to see you this. Have to see it. It's on HBO Max streaming right now. So okay. if you have HBO Max, you can check it out. It is so charming. Like, um, yeah, I, I, it was kind of, I think it, it was, I think it had a bigger opening in, in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, but anyway, it's, 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 it's really sweet. And, and actually, it's a, I think it's elevated than most um, Christmas films. So. Oh, we love a good Christmas film. Well, speaking <laughs> yes. of Christmas films, we have to talk about um, the Lifetime Asian American Christmas movie, Sugar and Spice. Um, so thinking about having, you know, our Asian American, fully Asian American cast and main characters in a Christmas movie and that being the first. Yeah, it's, uh, it's called Sugar and Spice Holiday and it's actually Asian North American. So there's some, there's a lot of Canadians involved as well. And it is, uh, yeah, just really cute. And I think it also, I think 
when you think of um, Christmas and Asian Americans, I think maybe stereotypically you're not thinking Asians because Asians are usually typed as, oh, you have some other religion. <laughs> and, and, you know, and also like, it's not like, I mean, come on, these Christmas movies aren't even about the religion at all <laughs> or, or faith beliefs. It's really about the culture, right? American mm -hmm. culture. Um, and so, and so of course, Asian American, I know, celebrates Christmas in some form, if not just at least the tree and presents, right? Right. And so I, I loved this movie. Um, I mean, it's a Christmas movie, so, you know, it's not art or anything. It's, a, it's also a lifetime movie, so the budget isn't super high, you know? <laughs> so I'm not, I don't want to say, like, <laughs> see this movie and think it's the greatest movie that was ever made. But, um, but what I loved about it is that it, um, it didn't shy away from Asian cultural elements. I mean, it didn't like hit you over the head with it, mm -hmm. but there was even like mention of microaggressions of like how, you know, people maybe don't think that Asians are, you know, are celebrate Christmas. So it had a little dig at that. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, this is like, it's like, I don't know. I just don't expect anything about racism <laughs> ever. Or just about Asian racism in general. Like, you don't really, I mean, Crazy Rich Asians. I remember reading the book. This is way before there, there was talk about the movie. I remember thinking, okay, it's another Asian American book. I don't know. And it seems, you know, kind of silly. But then when they, they talked about, like, you know, Michelle Yeoh, like, having that racism, like, happen to her in that hotel. And then she ended up buying the whole hotel franchise because they're crazy rich. Right. right. I was like, I was, I was all in at that like, wow, I, this is what I want, actually, as a sociologist, my ideal, like, <laughs> fun thing would be like, really, really light reading or light movie with, you know, at least some mentions of inequality, right? But not where it's like the whole movie is about that. Because that's not what I want. That's already how I spend my research. I don't necessarily want my, you know, entertainment to be that. We saw that with Get Out as well, like where mm -hmm. genres that are um, using like, you know, tropes, right? The horror trope, right? Um, love, um, I, I love that show. And how like there's, there's season, there's, there's, there's episodes where, where you have uh, <laughs> that the races are scarier than the monsters, right? Yeah. Like, oh, I'll take the, I'll take the monsters in the basement over the races outside the door, right? <laughs> and I think I just love how you can play with genre. You can play, like the fact that the Christmas movie would have mentions of that, right? And I mean, because the, the Leeds uh, family actually owns a uh, restaurant in Maine. And there was this discussion about why don't you serve Chinese food? And they're like, oh, well, you know, our, our, our white clientele, I don't know if they say white, but you're assuming, right? <laughs> you know, I'm assuming like our clientele, like, or our customers don't want, they won't, they won't want that. They don't, they don't, they can't handle spicy or they can't, you know, they're going to think it's weird. And I think that's a, that's a, you know, that's a, a subtle reference to racism, right? Mm -hmm. That's that, you know, and also ethnocentrism and, and you know, oh, weird food. I mean, every Asian American has grown up where people like insult our food in some way, right? Whether it's through social media or just interpersonally. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I love the, I love that these movies are starting to make these entrees into that. It's that it's possible to do a Christmas movie that's not just completely whitewashed, where you're just sticking Asians in. You know, mm -hmm. like I've seen those actually. Actually, if you the Princess Switch movies are kind of like that, right? Where yeah. there's actually mixed race uh, Asians. Um, in the in the movie, like Vanessa Hudgens is you know is part Filipina, and I believe the um, oh gosh I can't remember his name, but one of the love interests he's 
he's a brown man. I believe he, there's, I had, you know, you have to do research because <laughs> people aren't like, I am this and this and this. There's right. no celebs. I have to look it all up. I believe he might be part South Asian as well as um, Caribbean, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and so, but there's no mention of ethnicities at all because you don't expect that from a Christmas movie. No one's going to be like, hey, you know, Asian, like even in this movie, it's like, oh, Asian so like you're not going to do it like so overtly because that's the point of these movies but you know bravo to Irene, um you know donahue who who who's who's a, a mixed race vietnamese american she wrote and she actually and she also um revealed i did another panel and she revealed that originally she had written the the white lead to the, I mean, sorry, the, the male lead, the male love interest to be white. Mm. And actually Lifetime said, like, why don't we make him Asian? Yes. And she was shocked, right? Because she expected it. If you're going to have one Asian, you can't have two Asians. Right. right. We can't love each other. Family shown. How can the love interest be Asian? Because people are going to think, I mean, this is the myth. People are think, oh, it's a foreign film, right? <laughs> it's not American anymore. They're all Asian. Mm. And um, he's mixed race Asian, um, Tony Giroux, who plays it, he's Canadian. And, and he talked about, yeah, that, that, um, that he actually plays, I mean, it's very, they, they, they talk about, a, they do actually give a line and say like, he's like, oh, I want to have Chinese food because I, I don't have it as, as much now that my mother's not around. Mm-hmm. So that's one line that mentions that he is actually a mixed race Chinese, possibly Chinese, right? Or Asian. Mm-hmm. So, so I love that, you know, they're actually showing race without like, making it about race only, right? Yeah. Which is how we live our lives, right? We are, you know, our racial identities are there, but it's not like we're always thinking about racism, but we do talk about it sometimes, right? So I, I love that a Christmas movie can actually do that. I was, I was definitely floored. I was floored seeing it. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I love thinking about like just those little sprinkles of our kind of live realities without you know, making it, you know, all about like, this is a race movie, right? Or this is a racism movie, but this is the reality of our lived experience. So you still get that in there, but can still have this, you know, fun holiday, you know, movie (laughs) um, as well. And just thinking about, you know, what is possible. I think about all these different portrayals of Asian Americans in particular as thinking, opening up the doors for, you know, what is possible for younger Asian Americans who are watching these films, right? So you could be this whole range of people or personalities or, you know, experiences, um, something that I definitely didn't see, you know, when I was growing up. Um, So it's so great to kind of see these different portrayals of Asians and Asian Americans, um, even if, you know, some of them are, you know, lighthearted and kind of a little foofy, right? Um, And some are maybe more serious. Uh, But we're going to take a quick break. Uh, You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. So we're back on Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. This is Sanaa and I'm here with Dr. Nancy Yoon, a sociologist and pop culture expert who specializes on issues of racial representation, inclusion, and authenticity. Um, So one thing I really wanted to ask you about because HBO is uh, releasing or has this Asian American reality show um, that they just released, The House of Ho. And I'm really curious what your thoughts are about, um, you know, like ratchet Asian Americans (laughs) on TV. Oh my gosh, I posted the trailer. I actually haven't seen it yet. Um, 
because I'm actually like those, that kind of entire genre is always like, I don't know. I'm always <laughs> cringe. Like I don't actually, I'm probably one of the few people who's never watched a Kardashian ah. uh, reality <laughs> show. I just like, I feel like, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like almost guilty watching. I mean, it is a guilty pleasure, right? But I feel like I don't, I don't want to get into people's lives like that because you know, it's not completely real. It's fabricated. Yeah. And then the whole idea, I guess I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm judgy. I mean, I'm one of those, like, how do they become an entire celebrity <laughs> with like, no, like actual, like they're, all it is is they're, they're selling their lives, right? So I'm definitely one of those judgy people, <laughs> but I am of the mindset that may, that obviously they're so popular, right? That, mm-hmm. you know, there should be equal opportunity, like ratchetness of what you're saying, right? Because it is such a huge industry and people love watching train wrecks. And, and people, and, and also I think that it's not surprising that a show like this would come out post Asian, crazy rich Asians, right? Cause mm-hmm. they're kind of crazy rich Asians. Yeah. And so I, I think I posted, I said, I'm both repelled and intrigued, <laughs> you know? And, and people, a lot of Asian Americans were like, oh, this is great. And, and it was like very polarized. People were like, oh, it's great. Other people were like, oh my, it's just gonna, you know, perpetuate all sorts of negative stereotypes about us. And I think that both are valid that because like we talk about okay yeah we need light um light asian you know fair or whatever but there's actually not that many race movies about asians <laughs> from hollywood even like we just don't have a lot you yeah. know like most of the stuff i mean i guess you could say driller club was more serious but i don't even even really racism that much and i mean the farewell and um crazy Rich, the farewell is another drama but it's it was more about family right these are dramas about family, which then I think dispels some racism because you can you're you're fully humanized, fully complex. But it's not like we're talking about the Japanese instruments, right? We're not talking about loving, right? We're not talking about you know moments where <laughs> Asian American communities were targeted. Uh, we're not talking about you know the kung flu. You know we're not talking about that stuff, right? We talk about it on social media, but there's no movies and TV really focused on that and so we don't even have that yet so so when something like you know house of ho comes out people are like worried because oh my gosh if this gets popular yay but also boo because what if this is how then people again everything that we talked about about not seeing not not having interactions with asians and then seeing asians and thinking that's how they are we're still at a scarcity like you know, we haven't had, we haven't come to a tipping point where we could have lots of different, or where we could have negative portrayals and be balanced out by positive portrayals because there's just still not that many, we are the leads, right? And, 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 you know, in recent years also, a lot of it is coming on TV. So like House of Ho, like, um, like, you know, this Lifetime movie and then Indies, right? Mm-hmm. Where is the next studio film post Crazy Rich Asians? I mean, maybe we're waiting for the next Crazy Rich Asian sequel, which is sad, right? Because right. it's like, I think somebody posted on social media where it's like Black Panther and Crazy Rich Asians did really well. But how come Hollywood is not replicating it immediately? Because they replicate so many other things that do well at the box office. Where's our next Black, all Black cast superhero movie? Since, you know, are we waiting for the Black Panther sequel? I mean, this is ridiculous, right? We're literally waiting for Disney and you know, I think Warner Brothers, I think that's a crazy way just to do the next one. Like there's studios, but there aren't. And I think that that is indication that we're still not where we need to be in terms of representation. Um, because Hollywood is driven by capitalism. You know, they want to make money and yet something's holding them back from, you know, making another all, you know, BIPOC, you know, 
thing, the studio film, right? So, so we're seeing it more in television. We're seeing it in the indie world, which is cool because I think indie world is great for, you know, like we have, you know, a lot of um, great black and brown and Asian, you know, movies coming out from, from directors and writers of color. Mm-hmm. And I think audiences want that, but the distribution and the marketing and all that, those movies, not obvious not behind those a lot right like um i'm starting to watch uh, first cow i don't think anybody's even heard of it but it's it's not for all the Gotham awards and um you know there's just and it's like a story about like gold rush times and there's a story between a white man and a chinese man right like these are um these are stories that you know that again distribution and also because they're trendy, you know, not, it's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's where I'm seeing representations. Anyway, so yeah, so I think, I think we are, sorry, I'm like totally, I'm gone down this rabbit hole of like <laughs> up and down. It's like up and down, oh, House of Ho, right? <laughs> From first count to House of Ho. That's, that's where we are. Big jump. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's like total extremes, right? Where, um, yeah, so House of Ho, though, you know, people are talking about it because it's HBO Max and they have, you know, they have the, they have the marketing power. And, um, and so I think there should be room for everything, but we still need more. We need a lot more because there is this kind of still fear of like, oh my gosh, is this going to make us feel bad? Think about like, people never think that. They never think like, oh my gosh, the Kardashians are going to make us look like we're all whatever the Kardashians are, right? (laughs) Nobody thinks that. They're like, that's Kim Kardashian and her family, and that's them, right? Mm -hmm. They don't represent all white folks. But we literally are thinking House of Ho is going to represent all East Asians, right? There's that fear. Like, we're still at that point. And that says something about, again, you know, lack of opportunities. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, I watched the um, first episode of House of Ho and, you know, I watched the trailer and you already are getting all these feels like, oh my goodness, like, like you said, like this nervousness of like, is this what's going to define me or, you know, this generation of Asian Americans, you know, and House of Ho very much, in, at least in that first kind of episode setup, is this American dream immigrant success story. And so I'm watching it and like kind of cringing because it is kind of all these stereotypes around, well, look at these Asian immigrants who made it. You know, why can't other people of color or other immigrants? Um, so, I mean, there's also that part of it. And like you mentioned, you know, where are where is the race and racism Asian American movie? Um, And it isn't there. And I think that's pretty probably purposeful, right? To have these um, portrayals of look how well the Asians are doing. um, And then nothing about, you know, race and racism because that's not what we think of, right? When we think of Asian Americans, that's not the history that we're taught. That's not the realities that we even really think about um, top of mind, right? It is more so culture and family and of course success. Um, but not this, the other part of the live reality, which is race and racism. Yeah, the model minority stereotype. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. So dangerous. We know how it's been used. We've been used as a wedge, um, you know, anti-affirmative action kind of movement. And Asian immigrants, you know, sometimes participating in that and anti-Black racism, and anti-Brown racism within the community. Um, it's very complex because Asian Americans are one of the most diverse racial groups, right? Racial ethnic groups because don't speak the same language, don't 
hate each other back in the homelands, right? And um, and only coming here, becoming Asian, like you're not Asian back in Asia, right? You're right. Your own nationality, your own, your own culture, even within nations, you have your own ethnic, you know, subcultures. So I think um, to be completely like put into one group and assume that we're all the same, that's that's just not true. And so, yes, yeah, so those model minority stereotypes um, resonate in, a, in our society because like you said, it's intentional, right? Because we serve to um, buttress a system where people of color shouldn't come together to rise up and demand you know, equal treatment. We should be you know, at each other's throats and, and, you know, and be used against each other. And so, um, and at the same time, you know, the immigrant dream is real, right? People come here because they buy into that. They, don't, they come here to work. They come here to, to make a better life for their families. And that's what they're thinking about. And it isn't until their children are born into a racist society that we realize, oh, we got to work with other groups because it ain't going to happen. Just me, myself, and I. And so, um, and so I think, yeah, we're trying to catch up to that. We're trying to catch up to that. Um, we do, we do. We need to show the diversity of Asian Americans that we're not, we're not even close to all being crazy rich, right? And <laughs> we have one of the, we, right? We, you know, the Asian Americans have the most economic disparity, you know, between, within our group than any other group that we have really, we do have some wealthy, you know, Asians who come with already education, who came as part of the post-1965 brain drain. And then we have refugees and other groups that are some of the poorest, you know, of our society, some of the most disadvantaged. And so, we never see those stories, right? Or we see those stories in White Savior. Like, I think there was that Hmong um, movie with um, Clint Eastwood. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, like, yes. <laughs> yeah, so we have White Savior movies about that. So that's like the one of the rare, rare representations of um, Southeast, Southeast Asians. So, I mean, we do have the new Southeast Asian princess who's, you know, kind of out of Disney, Raya, um, mm. but I doubt they're gonna talk about economic disparities. <laughs> I mean, it's not that kind of film. It's not fair to to expect a children's princess movie to <laughs> to capture that. Um, but just uh, yeah, I mean, it's oh yes, yes, all of that in terms of um, you know, in Vietnamese American community, it's complicated, right? We have Vietnam, we have refugee, we have communism, we have all sorts of. I mean, you know, we people need to read, uh, you know, Viet Thanh Nguyen's <laughs> books, right, and like really get get a, a perspective from from Vietnamese Americans. But yeah, reality shows are they're so they're all edited. There's so many of them are scripted. You know, right. <laughs> this is the problem, right? And I think that you know they they essentially become actors, and mm -hmm. and so and so yeah. I mean, it's. <sighs> representation is so complex, <laughs> you know, and guilty. And, and, I, and then I have Asian American friends who've watched it and said like, oh my gosh, you know, we totally relate to the pressures that parents put on children, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, yeah. you know, Stuart Hall, who's, a, you know, a black British cultural um, scholar who writes about that we all have, audiences can take different things away from watching, right? You can yeah. take, you know, the, the kind of dominant perspective, you know, so taking in the crazy rich Asians and, and all its dangers and the modern minority stereotype. But then those of us who are part of the community, maybe we'll take, you know, other like counter, you know, counter reads, right? Where we're just kind of seeing how, you know, at least, you know, immigrant parents and children and the pressures are being represented and we can relate to that as well. Um, and so, I think media consumption and how we, what we like, what we don't like, tastes, all that, it's, um, 
that's why it's so hard to study the media, it's it's influences because, because yeah, we can, we can, we can watch something and, and kind of try to ignore the bad stuff and take away the good stuff. Right. That's Mm -hmm. possible. And for people of color, I think we've had to learn to do that, especially when we've had so little of ourselves, right. To, to see, I remember, um, when Lucy Liu um, came up on Ally McBeal mm-hmm. and one of the media watchdog groups in, in Los Angeles, Mana, um, celebrated it. And I remember I was one of those graduate students who were like, oh my gosh, she's such a dragon lady. How can you celebrate <laughs> her, you know? But it was like, well, at least she's, you know, an ensemble, right? And people, mm-hmm. and now I look back, I'm like, yeah, you know, she was, she was powerful. I'd rather be a dragon lady than a victim, I guess, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's like, you know, um, and so anyway, but it's like, it's like, you know, you also evolve over time, right? So now I'm not as militant about, you know, representation, but at the same time, I still, I think, take each, um, I can't turn it off, right? You, I think most of us, you know, we want to see better versions of ourselves. We want to see better versions of other marginalized groups. And so it's important to keep pushing, right? To pushing the, the story to be more inclusive, to be better representations, um, and also learn more about ourselves through these representations and 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 what we what we think of as good evolves over time and and i think as we come into our more our own racial consciousness and and also read i love being on social media because i'm challenged and i learn about you know um i love the whole own voices movement of you know people like mulan you know i Mm -hmm. i actually wrote a review of mulan and i i I thought about it from a perspective of just someone who's watching it for the first time. And I thought, okay, I think people will enjoy it. You know, overall, Mm -hmm. it's a Disney movie and it's well, well acted for the most part. And, but then, you know, but then I, I accepted all the critiques, right. Especially with the geopolitics of China. Yeah. And Hong Kong, you know, the actors, you know, saying bad things about the Hong Kong police um, so it was so complicated. It was such, there were so many political things, and also just representation was sometimes it was really problematic. And but at the same time, yay for the Asian American actors who got to you know for Tai Ma, who's now become Asian Dad of the Year, you know. Yes. And, um, <laughs> and so like I love seeing my friends. Like Tai Ma was actually an, an actor that I interviewed during you know when I wrote when I when I was doing my dissertation research, and now he's in my book. And just seeing where he was and how he was actually, he was one of those actors who's like, I am not going to take a stereotype role. He actually mm-hmm. had rules where he was like, if I, if I play an Asian villain, there has to be an Asian hero. Like he had these amazing rules, you know, that it's not his burden to carry, right? But he carried it, you know, as someone who's been working in, in the industry forever. And now look at him, you know, he's playing the greatest Asian dads um, that are complex and not stereotypical. I mean, he was even in this Lifetime movie. <laughs> he really is the <laughs> ubiquitous uh, East Asian dad. And, and I love him for that. And I love seeing him succeed. So I, I feel so like actually privileged to be able to see, to go from like having really no representation growing up and then doing this research and seeing the struggles of all these actors of color and now seeing where a lot of them are now and how they're succeeding and how they're doing better. So I, I, I want to be an optimist because I've seen change in my own life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's um, a positive and I hope, I, I want to be hopeful that it's just going to continue to, um, to change for the better. 
Mm -hmm. Yes, I am hopeful with you as well. Um, Dr. Yoon, thank you so much for being here with us this morning. So much to think about. And I will continue to stay hopeful about more racial representation and more accurate racial representation in our future as well. Thank you so much for having me. And shout out to all the Asians in Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you again to Dr. Nancy Yoon for being here with us this morning. And for your positive note, I just want to bring it back to something Dr. Yoon said, which is you can't be what you don't see. Um, and just thinking about the possibilities and opportunities we have for creating new representation in whatever realm we may be in. This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. Join me back here next Saturday morning and every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. This is Sanaa, and I will see you next week.